we're trying to do this series called I, I, I Want to Believe in God, but so many people who, who want to um, be involved in this thing but find that they're uh, stagnated. They, they say, it's, it seems that there's got to be something about God. I, I like this idea of God, but there's a, ce- a ceiling. There's, there's a barrier. There's, there, there's some reason why I can't fully get in. There's something that's holding me back. And so our premise for this series is that um, people are not rejecting the true God, <coughs> but so many people are actually rejecting a distorted or, or a partial view of God, something that they overheard somewhere else and said, you know what, I think this is what God looks like. And they, they think, if you ask them, they think, no, I've rejected God. There is no God. He doesn't work. It's not right. But they're not really rejecting God. They're rejecting their view of God, a distorted view, uh, a misinterpretation of what they think God should be. <clears throat> so last week, we talked about on-demand God. And I don't want to believe in God, but he doesn't do exactly what I want him to do when I want him to do it. And we agree with these people when they say there is no on-demand God. We go, you're absolutely right. You, you've nailed it. That is the truth. There is no on-demand God. Some of you, you might want to uh, think about inviting someone to come next week, next week to, to join in as we examine the idea um, that we're calling goosebumps God. I want to believe in God, but, but I don't feel him. Uh, It's such a common thing. How do you believe in a God that you can't see, you can't feel? I've never heard him speak. I want to believe in God, but I don't feel him. Goosebumps God, that's next week. Today, today we're going to expose killjoy God. Killjoy God also doesn't exist. So I want to believe in God, but there's just way too many rules. I want to believe in God, but I don't want to be boring. I want to believe in God, but I don't want to miss out on the fun. I want to enjoy my life. Many people seem to butt up against this one, and then they just sort of drift away. People say, there's just so many do's and don'ts and these and thou's, and how can I keep it all straight? How can I keep doing that? Why would I keep doing that? I want to be able to enjoy. So this brings us to a a mirror question. A mirror question is, when you hear it, is it speaking about you? Are are you this kind of person? So when I was younger, and I guess we could be honest, still today sometimes, when I look at some Christians, I just didn't like them. (laughs) Is that okay to say out loud in church? Maybe you felt that way too, and you don't want to say it out loud either, but sometimes we just... We don't like people who want the name Christian. Sometimes they seem to be snotty. Um, they're, they're hypocritical. Uh, sometimes they're judgmental. Sometimes they, they're so holier than thou. They're boring. And generally, they display a miserable night, miserableness in life. And I, go, I, just, I just don't want to be part of that. Who does? want to be part of that. If, if this is such a great deal, how come you don't seem like this is a great deal? You seem like you're, mm, you've got a squishy face, right? You're kind of like a raisin face. Why can't you enjoy this thing? How could I let myself become that thing that you say by your life, this is what it looks like? So some people say, I want to believe in him, but with all these rules, there just doesn't seem to be any benefit. When I did my cost-benefit analysis, all I came up with was cost and I can't find the benefit. And frankly, my life's going fine. Why should I 
follow a God who tells me to do this and he tells me to do that and stop doing that. And if it's fun, you can't have it. Why do I want to be part of that when he really just gets in the way of me doing what I want to do when I want to do it? So this is what we're going to unpack a little bit today and talk about the good news of Jesus and the bad news of religion. And we have done this kind of thing before, but I think it seems to me that it is so hard to let it sink in. We, we hear it and we process it. And if we were to ask you a question, many times we can say what we would say are right answers, but we, we just can't let it get inside us. We struggle mightily against believing it in a trusting, I will therefore live my life differently because of this kind of thing. So we're going to start with some bad news because we all like the bad news first, right? Well, I do. First things first, uh, when I say religion, and we're using that term, uh, I mean man-made constructions, okay? So I don't mean, like some other people would say, hey, religion is, is anything and Christianity is part of that. I'm going to pull Christianity outside of that, and I'm going to say man-made religion is what I'm talking about. The stuff that we formulated, we, we crafted, what we do to try and please God, that we're going to call religion. And there's a difference between Christianity and just general religion. So the bad news about religion, then the good news about Jesus. So if you're taking notes, this is what we're starting with here. Religion focuses on the external rather than the internal. And if you've ever looked at someone and say, you know what? You claim this, you say this, but you're not living that. And we, we have this opportunity all the time. We do it with public figures, whether they're entertainers or politicians. We look at them and we have unending evaluation for them. We have unbeginning evaluation for ourselves, but we're very good at being able to see that disconnect there. And we're saying, you're, you're kind of hypocritical. How can you say this and then do that? And this is exactly what Jesus was saying. Um, Matthew, his good friend Matthew recorded it in his gospel. And we're going to go to uh, chapter 23. He says, religion just cares about the external, but I'm way more concerned about the internal. So he says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You put on a religious show. You've worked it out really well at how you want to appear, your brand management, your image control, but it doesn't match your heart. It goes on, blind Pharisees, first deal with the inside. Clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and the outside will be clean as well. So what does religion do? It focuses on the external rather than the internal. What many people will wrongly assume about God, they think that's the same way God looks. As long as I do this, God's happy. And let's take the holiness of God, okay? So you imagine there's the holiness of God, and you say, here's holy God, and then over here, here's unholy me. So somehow I identify that we're not together, right? There's a separation there for some reason. And you go, well, okay, I'm over here because I haven't always done the right thing. I'm not perfect, okay? So sometimes I do this sort of stuff. How can I be right? How can I be close with God again? And what religion says to an unholy um, people is try to close the gap. How do we come closer together? And you, the way you do that according to religion is to do the right things, right? If I do the things that God wants, God will like me. If I can sort of convince him that this is what I really think and this is what I'm doing, is it enough for me to say I did those good things? And to think that I can approach God's holiness by trying hard, 
by, by giving it the good college try, by being better, by pulling myself up by my bootstraps to do religious things, then somehow it all changes. And I don't know what the religious rules are that, that you have, that you perceive are out there. These are requirements because they're kind of different. Some of them overlap, but some of them are different. Maybe these aren't just things that you perceive as somebody else's religious rules. Maybe these are the ones that you've got inside you too. The ones that are there that you were born and bred with. The one that just seems to be there. Maybe you've adopted these things as necessary standards for other people to meet. Things like, hey, I got to go to church. I got to give money. Uh, I got to be nice not mean. I got to help little old ladies across the street. That's what I should do. And then there's the list of things that I can't do, man. Oh, I don't drink. I don't, I don't smoke. I don't chew. And I don't run with the girls who do. If I do these good things and I don't do the bad things, then maybe, just maybe, we'll be okay. That God won't notice this difference in the same way that he'll actually let my good deeds bring me closer. Maybe he'll like me. Trying to close the gap with human effort. And Jesus says, don't be like the Pharisees. The religious Olympians of the day. It's very important when we say Pharisees, we tend to say it with a negative thing. But you've got to understand, for, for the world that they lived in, these guys were awesome. They knew so much. They did so much. They were in control of so many things. They were doing a great job. So when Jesus says, you've got to be better than the Pharisees, everyone throws up their hands and say, I'll never be able to do it. And God says, that's exactly the point. You'll never be able to do it. The big religious show, everyone can watch and everyone can see the outside. But the heart is so much harder to adjust. So much harder to change. Pharisees wanted to look holy. They, they wore holy clothes, all right? They had the fancy robes and they had tassels on the bottom that would shake. And they go, every time they shake, you go, there's a little bit of holiness just dripping off behind them. They've got the, the magic of the, the, the way the religion can make you feel like there's, there's, they're above, they're better. They, 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 maybe their feet don't actually touch the ground. They kind of float because of the holiness that they're showing you. Yet they would go... And then take advantage of innocent widows. They, they would lie to people. They would condemn people for not being good enough. So as a sign of my goodness before God, what I need to do is convince you of your not goodness before God. And we are all so willing and so able to say, you're right. I'm not good enough. You're right. I don't measure up. I, I, I failed again. Those harpings on people, that, that shunning that condemnation that has become such a part of religion, regardless of what the religion is called, it seems that that's the way we think that we're supposed to do it, and somehow God likes it. If I can convince you that you're bad, and I like it, because if I can convince you that you're bad, then I can convince myself that I'm better than you, closer to God. You got to do what the rules say you got to do. You got to obey the Sabbath rules. This is a huge deal for the Pharisees. So they would watch people around them. Are you obeying the Sabbath rules? You, you shouldn't hang out with that, that bad person because their badness is liable to just squirt all over you. And then you'll be bad as well just by association. They'll make you unclean. That obsession with the external changed the way that the society worked. Now, I know that most of you come to church and you say, I really hope today we have a little bit of a history lesson, right? That's what 
Most of you said this morning? That's, yeah, okay, perfect, because that's what we're going to do. Why was it this way and how did it get to be like that, okay? Um, this might be new for some people. You might not have ever heard this before. So if we go way back into the Old Testament, we get to these guys, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. They're so famous they even have books named after them. So that's, uh, this is after the Babylonians and the Assyrians had conquered the northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. Both had been conquered. Both had been devastated by these enemies. And so we're after that time. Um, the, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom had both been decimated. Now we're, uh, we're after the exile. So the people are coming back after the exile. They're, they're coming back to Israel and they're looking to get things set up in the homeland again. And here's what happened. The religious leaders, they looked and they said, God's people were breaking the rules. They broke the law. And break, breaking the law is what sent us into exile. Exile really sucked. We didn't want to do that. And we don't ever want to do that again. That bondage, that whole thing was bad. We want to come back and we don't want bad. We want good. And so what we're going to do is we're going to try and make sure that we are coming up with some new laws so that nobody breaks the law law. We'll make up new laws. So by the law, we're speaking of what's known as the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. That means um, those, those things were the, the most important, and, and so they, they tried to keep them safe by coming up with what we call, or what they called, the fence laws. They essentially built a fence of laws around the Torah so that we didn't have the chance of breaking the Torah again. And they got in such a good mood about it, they made more than 600 fence laws to protect the law. It was so intense. There were so many things that you had to remember that there was actually 65 different laws that were all about the Sabbath. 65 different things that you had to know. So when later somebody compiled all the laws, there was a little bit here and a little bit there, let's put them all into one book, about the third century. They pulled this book together, they called it the Mishnah, and when they put it together, it was about 800 pages long. Additions to the laws of God. These additions, these complications, these hindrances to relationship with God are why Jesus got so passionate. And that's why his close friend, Matthew, recorded it for us like this so that we could be clear and we could get the idea of what Jesus was really all about. He said in Matthew 23, don't follow the example of the Pharisees, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands. And they never lift a finger to ease that burden. If you ever thought, I want to believe in God, but there are too many laws, too many rules, it's just oppressive, you need to know that this is not a reflection of the heart of God. I think we've all met someone whose soul was crushed. Maybe it was your soul that was crushed because of some experience where they were disqualified, not good enough, don't know enough. This is what has been added to what God already established. So it, these additional works, trying to close the gap between us and God, it does not reflect the heart of God. And anytime you think killjoy God is out there and you say, I don't want that, Understand this and remind yourself of this frequently. Kill joy God does not exist. The laws God established are not to confine us, but to free us to have the life that he wants. 
I want to share with you the good news about Jesus, right? That's what we're really about. This is a message and a story that I want you to have in your heart so that it can pop out of you wherever you go. Maybe not the full deal, but the effects of this, the trust that you can live with changes and you can smile and you can say, that's not the God I believe in either. And we can have that kind of a conversation. This is the good news, but it's really, really good news. So this, we're going to look at what an ex-Pharisee um, said about Jesus and um, how he describes that relationship. This is a guy who knows the law. He knows and keeps the Ten Commandments. He knows and he keeps the entire book of Leviticus. He knows about the 65 different Sabbath laws. This guy is so tuned into the rules and the laws that he has memorized the vast majority of what we would call the Old Testament. He knows and he keeps the entire package of 613 laws. You remember the Mishnah, about 800 pages? He knows it and he keeps them. He knew it and he did it. And he did it well. He was really good at it. And in his letter that he sent to the church in Rome, here's how he described that rule-keeping lifestyle. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight, by works of the law. Even if you keep all 613. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Trying hard to keep the laws just makes it clear to us when we don't hit the mark. Sin, that's how we describe sin. Sin is not hitting the mark. Missing the target off-center, not quite hitting the target, the bullseye. Now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. We're going to break this down a little bit. Three parts. So the good news about Jesus, part one, you cannot earn God's acceptance by obeying the law. No matter how hard you try, no matter how big your Bible is, no matter how religious you are, no matter how fancy your clothes are, no matter how many good works and what kind of good works you do, no matter how much evil you avoid, you cannot earn God's acceptance by obeying the law. You cannot obey enough to impress God. Religion says, and for some reason, we are so ready, so willing to believe that your good works will please God, as if he's in a state that is displeased now, and if we do the right things, then he will be pleased with us. Scripture teaches us you cannot be good enough to please God. The rules may seem like, go to church, don't do bad, but here's what Paul, the ex-Pharisee, says, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. And when he says that, he's pointing the finger at himself. I can do it, and it ain't making a difference. It doesn't matter how holy you act. It doesn't matter how, how good of a show you put on. No matter how hard you try, you cannot be good enough to please God by your works. You cannot please God just by doing the law stuff. It's impossible. It doesn't work. So if that's true, then why in the world did God give us the law that we can't possibly keep? Why did he give it to us in the first place? Second thing, the purpose of the law is to show your need for a savior. 
Let's finish the rest of verse 20. This is what Mr. Super Law Keeper Man says. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our own sin. There. We're exposed. The common belief today that people have is, I'm not a bad person. I'm not a bad person, and I'm definitely not a sinner. Sinner. Wow, you're like so judgmental. Who are you to judge me? I'm not a sinner. There's someone way worse than me. And this is why the law is so incredibly important. It actually shows us that every single one of us is a fully qualified and highly experienced sinner. C.S. Lewis, I love reading this guy. This guy, brilliant, a great writer. He wrote uh, this one thing. He says, no man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. I thought, man, that is so true. But relax, I'm not a bad person. Well, maybe. I mean, compared to somebody else, you're not a bad person. But compared to the standard of God, compared to the mark that you're supposed to hit, we all fall incredibly short. And I don't want to be harsh. I don't want to be critical about this. I don't want to make you feel bad because that's not the point. But let me tell you why it's so important. It's not important that you feel bad. But if you go through life saying, I'm not a bad person, there's no big deal, then you don't recognize that you need the forgiveness and grace of God. And you go, that's right. So why do I need to go to church? There's no point. I don't need any of that. God might very well seem to you to be completely unnecessary and a complete waste of time. But until you can see yourself as a sinner, you won't see your need for a Savior. And if you don't understand your need to be saved, you will be trapped exactly where you are, thinking it's all fine right here. This is as good as it gets. I can never be better, and I can never be different than this right here. That's why we all need to start here. We join together in the sinning spot and say, this is what we have in common. But the good news about the gospel, we're getting to that, is that you cannot be a good enough for God. There's no person that can perform their way to God because all have sinned and fall well beneath the standard of the law that has been set up. So what's the purpose of the law? Oh my gosh, I'm not good enough on my own. I need grace. I need mercy. I need help. I need a savior. You cannot earn God's acceptance by keeping the law. The purpose of the law is to show you that you need a Savior. And number three, the really, really good news, being right with God comes by faith in Christ alone. That's it. The way that we're made right with God is not by religious works, not by trying harder, but it's by the perfect work of Jesus and that alone. And that's good news. That means that when you fail, you go, that's exactly the point. When I fail, what I recognize is that I'm in need of a Savior. And thank goodness, or thank God, the Savior already exists. Before I recognize my need, the Savior's already there saying, I've been waiting to help you out. So this is what Paul says in verse 22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. To whom? To all who believe. So anyone who's ever had their soul crushed because they're not good enough and they don't know enough is for you. Those people who said, I just wish you weren't around. 
You bring everyone else down. This gospel is for you. The ones, the ones who haven't been able to attain, haven't been able to achieve, haven't been able to overcome all those things, who have a life that you could say, I got so much that I regret. I wish that didn't happen. This is the gospel that's for you. For the people who are perfect, this gospel can't help you because you need to know that you're a sinner and you need to know that you need a savior. But when you understand that, and when you're tempted to feel like that's the end, that's all much, it's too much for me, I can't bear it. I realize that I am lousy. I realize I can't do it. You go, no, that's the gateway to say, now I can come in. Now I can be welcome. It doesn't matter how bad your past has been. It doesn't matter how bad your present is right now. When you put your faith in Christ, your sins are forgiven and you are made completely new. That's why I'm going to tell you all day long, you don't need religion. You don't need religion. You don't need religion. Can I get an amen? Can I get a praise the Lord? You need Christ and Christ alone. Not Christ plus good works. Not Christ plus religious effort. Christ and Christ alone. Maybe you know this. It's a story of Jesus on the cross. If you're not a church person, maybe you don't know this sort of thing. But there was Jesus. He's hanging on the cross. We normally show you the one cross, right? This is the symbol of Christianity. We, we believe it all happens at the cross. But in the, in the real story, there's actually three. And Jesus is in the middle. He's hanging between two thieves, two rightly convicted people. And they, one hurls insults at him. He says, you saved others. Why don't you save yourself? And while you're there, save us. The other criminal looks at Jesus and he's got a broken heart. And he said, Jesus... Would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Jesus is there suffering, hanging on the cross. He's got a lot on his mind, okay? He's very busy right now. And he looks at this convicted criminal and he says to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. There is nothing about this scenario that we're looking at right now that would indicate that paradise is for either of us. But don't worry, today you'll be with me. Wait. To be right with God, though, don't you have to do good things? Isn't that what you have to do? Could this guy get down and do good things? Not a bit. His hands are nailed to the cross. Well, he's got to turn over a new leaf at least, right? We've got to see a new start somewhere, right? Guy couldn't get down. Well, certainly he's got to start attending synagogue or church regularly. There's no way. Can't get there. Faith in Christ alone. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And how does that work? Right? Because we've all sinned. We've all shown that we're not good enough. The book of Revelation uses the image of, of those in heaven who are, who are clothed in beautiful, clean, white robes. Sin is dirt. Every sin dirties our robes. But the turnaround is this. We are not seen as wearing our own robes the ones that we've dirtied up, the ones that we've rolled around in the muck in. We are seen as wearing the robes of Jesus. But, but maybe robes, that doesn't mean anything to you. Maybe that's a little too church. Maybe that's a little too confusing. So consider it like this. You're a child, and you have been rescued from a life of slavery. You have nothing of your own that has any value. You don't have any parents. You don't have any other family that's around you, but you have been adopted by God himself. You are part of a whole new family, and your dad, your dad's the king. And you're trying to log in, maybe, to this uh, 
secure banking site, and you realize that your account's empty, and you can't validate your access, so you can't go forward, you can't go anywhere. You don't have the right clearance, so you're locked out. This is a place that you do not belong. You have not earned what it takes to gain entry to the secure network. Oh no, I can't get in. I'm trapped on the wrong side of the fence. And Jesus says, relax. You're with me. Just log in under my ID. Then you will be seen as having everything that I have and that I am. We are clothed in Christ. We have a robe of righteousness. What Jesus does is he takes his perfection and he covers us with it. When God looks at us, God doesn't see our sinfulness and the perfection of Jesus. He sees the perfection of Jesus. That's why if we're in Christ, we're a new creation. Our sins are forgiven by God and God doesn't see us as the filthy sinners we are, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. And that's the difference between religion and Christianity. Religion is all about performance, performance, performance. Christianity is all about the perfect work of Jesus. Religion is all about I do, I do, I do, and I will. Christianity is all about what Jesus did, his perfect work. Whenever there's a question, we just point to Jesus. Religion says if I try really hard, if I obey, then maybe God will love me. Christianity says because God loves me. That was the first thing. That's the first step. God loves me. And I'm accepted in Christ. I choose to obey and I will follow his ways. So anytime someone says, I don't want to follow that God. He's a killjoy God. There's too many rules. There's too many regulations. We need to understand that this religion has complicated what God made simple. It's always been simple to God. Religion adds to the simplicity of the gospel. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and what what do you have? You got God created Adam. This is good. God created Eve. This is even better. Because God recognized that Adam alone was not good. There, There needed to be someone else. There needs to be a relationship. But together, they're really good. And God says, be fruitful. Multiply. Have fun. Subdue the land, name the animals, plant crops, enjoy my gift of paradise, be blessed. And I'm going to come by regularly to visit. There's one thing I don't want you to do. I don't want you to eat eat anything in the garden that you want. Enjoy, eat, do what you want. But there's one thing. That one tree over there is the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat of it, it's not going to be good for you. Don't do that. If you eat of it, you'll surely die. Be fruitful. Have fun. Multiply. Enjoy paradise. Start naming things. Giraffe and turtle and pig and monkey. You got a lot of work to do. Just one thing not to do. Why did God tell them not to eat of that one tree? To keep them from fun stuff? To keep them away from what was really good? No. To keep them away from that which would steal life. To give them the freedom of blessings. What has religion done? Religion has complicated what God made simple. In Psalm 16, David, another one that he wrote, this one's called the Golden Psalm. David says, The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I've got freedom on this side of the boundary line. 
On the other side is danger. I thank God for the boundary lines because they are there because he loves me. I don't have to obey the boundary lines. I don't have to obey the laws to please God. But because of his grace, I choose to. It's like uh, 21 years ago, uh, Cheryl and I got married. 21, right? Yeah. Guess what? When I was there, I was the man. I promised that I would lay down the law. I promised to be faithful to her as long as we both shall live. That's the rule. That's the law. What's that for? It's really kind of limiting. I mean, honestly, to think you can't be with anyone else for the rest of your life. Where is the fun in that? What does it do that keeps me in the blessings of a faithful marriage that is far richer than any forbidden fruit on the other side of the boundary? It's not a boundary that I want to cross for a forbidden fruit that might be good enough because the blessings of staying within the boundaries are so much better. Why would I do that? Because of love. That's what the whole ceremony is about, to celebrate love, to reflect God's love for us, but to say that we love each other because I love you. This is what I will do, and this is what I won't do. Religion complicates with laws, and Jesus simplifies with love. So one time a religious person says, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? What's the most important one? Break it down, narrow it, focus it for me. There's a lot of them. And Jesus said, above all else, the most important thing is to love the Lord your God with everything in you, heart, mind, soul, strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, but wait a minute. What about the other 613? That's a lot I got to obey. I got to obey a lot. What drives everything that God is interested in? Love. Religion complicates with laws. Jesus simplifies with love. Love God with everything in you. Not everything you simulate on the outside, but with everything in you. I better obey God or he's not going to love me. No, because I'm clothed in Christ. I'm already accepted. And because the boundary lines fall in pleasant places, I don't have to obey. I choose to obey as an act of love for who God is. I obey because it's an act of love because I want to be faithful. I want to honor my God. And so as an act of love, I choose to be faithful in that relationship. Now, I don't want to follow God. There's too many rules. I don't want to be a stick in the mud. I don't want to be boring. No, so much of that is added. We put it in there. We did it to ourselves to try and make God think that that he could like us more. By grace and faith alone in Jesus, we are declared righteous, robed with the righteousness of Christ himself. Therefore, I don't have to obey. I don't have to do religious works to close the gap. I cannot even do it even if I wanted to. I simply recognize that I will never be good enough. I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. Thank God there's a Savior for me. And when I call out on the one who paid it all, God hears my prayers and he says, I'm forgiven. And I'm clothed clothed with the righteousness of Christ. 
Because I have been loved, I choose to love and follow him. My only reasonable response to give is to give everything to the one who gave everything for me. Religion complicates what God made simple. Religion complicates with laws. Jesus simplifies it all with love. Let's pray. Father, today I pray that the Holy Spirit would help simplify this, that as we worship you and as we spend time in your presence, God, that we would be moved by your love, transformed by your love, that God, you so loved the world that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, and thank you for him who gave his life that we could live, live free, delighting and displaying this new freedom that we have got in Christ. But God, some of us grew up in legalistic homes. I got to try harder. I got to do better. We grew up being always ashamed and feeling guilt, never measuring up. Others of us, maybe we didn't grow up in legalistic homes, but we still feel the bondage and we don't experience the freedom. Today, we say, God, help me to simplify it with your love. Help me to get this one thing right. To love you with all my heart, all my mind, soul, strength. Because I trust you. You are faithful. You are dependable. I don't have to worry about negative repercussion. As you love me, God, help me to love myself and to show your love to everyone else I come across. God, help me to embrace the simplicity, the power, and the majesty of your transforming love. Thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive and find grace in our time of need. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. It's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. And I'm convinced that the more we connect, the better it gets. As you go, I want to remind you again that you're not just walking away. We're sending you out. You got recharged. You got reset. It's time to go and take this somewhere else. So we're sending you out. And as we send you, I want to remind you that we are Christ-centered. We are spirit-empowered, and we are mission-focused. And the mission that we are on is for everyone, everywhere, all the time. It was great having you here. We can do this again next week. Invite someone to come along with you as we talk about Goosebumps God. Have a great week. See you next week.